good to be with you, and if uh, someone pointed out to me in the first service that you might not know this, but today is Grandparents' Day. Wow, you didn't know that, I bet, a Hallmark holiday, and uh, we definitely want to celebrate our Grandparents' Day, so thankful for each one of you that are here. And with that in mind, it lends to how I wanted to start our service talking about maybe some of the, the things that you heard on repeat growing up in your house, whether it was counsel or just a phrase that was a regular term. So here's the, the thing. This morning, we're going to do a little bit of audience participation. Are you guys game for this? Just for a moment. And so what we're going to do is when you hear me share one of these phrases that's maybe you have used or maybe you heard it used growing up, you stand up. If you hear a second one, you raise a hand. If you hear a third one, you raise a second hand. So somebody that's heard three different ones, if you're tracking with me, should be standing with two hands raised. Are you tracking? All right, so tell me if any of these are familiar counsel within your house. If you keep making that face, it will freeze that way. All right, if you want to act like a child, I'll treat you like a child. Children are to be seen, but you guys can finish it. That's okay. The rest of you have never heard these. Are you serious? As long as you're under my roof, you'll live by... All right, all right. We added a lot, I noticed, on that one. I'm not asking, I'm... All right, all right. Maybe a few there. Uh, Why? Because I... Yes, either one, told you so. How about this one? If all your friends jumped off a cliff, would you? Yes, maybe. Shut the door, were you born in a... All right, we've got everybody here already. Where, where are the manners, were you raised by... Nice, nicely played. How about road trips, this one? Let's play the what kind of game? Nice, nice, nice. With all that noise, someone better be bleeding or dead. That's right. And the best for last, stop crying or I'll... All right, for the violent families. Hey, good job, you guys. I noticed, man, everybody's standing, hands raised. This is a Pentecostal church. Like, we're... There we go. (laughs) Hey, but in all seriousness, there's some things, there's some expressions, some terms that we grew up with as commonplace. Some of us have maybe used those, some of those we've heard, but on a more serious note, there's maybe some counsel that you've given over the years that's probably a little bit more uh, on the serious end of the spectrum. One that I found that I've given, I've found myself giving it to my children. I found myself giving it to adults on occasion as well. Maybe you've used this one before. You are only responsible for your own actions. You can't control the actions of others. Have you heard this one before? You want to live in a manner that when you put your head on the pillow at the end of the day, you know you've lived above reproach. You know you've lived above reproach, recognizing We have no control over other people's actions, only our own. If that simple truth 
would sink in for each of us this morning. I would call it a success. We're going to see this displayed or personified in the life of Daniel in Daniel chapter 6 this morning. You can start turning there, but let me start our morning with a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for how practical Scripture is. Things that we say, things that we've heard are, are, are echoed in your word. Things that were rooted in a foundation of characters in Scripture or your character in Scripture. Pray that you teach us through this example of Daniel this morning of what it looks like to take responsibility for our own actions and to be able to end the day looking back, reflecting, and being blameless or above reproach. I pray that this example would remind us, would encourage us that it is possible to live that way. Pray that you'd be great now, I'd be small. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, you might notice if you've been a part of this Daniel series that we just jumped from chapter 4 to chapter 6. So we kind of, we're skipping because this is the last week of our series uh, where we're focusing really on the, the life of Daniel. The next half of the book is more on the visions and prophecies that he had, maybe for another date. But this week, I'm jumping to 6, partially because chapter 5 is a little bit of repeat of things we've heard or seen before. I'll recap it quickly. If you remember King Nebuchadnezzar, who we determined we'd call Neb since he's not here to kill me, uh, we, we, we get introduced in chapter 5 to his son Belshazzar, who is the next king after King Neb. And who didn't follow Neb's example, he chose to carve his own path to learn the lessons the hard way and went on to not acknowledge God or serve him. In the middle of one of his drunken parties, God shows up. God shows up and visibly writes a message to him on the palace wall. It's a, it's a fascinating story if you have a chance to read it this week. And in that message, guess who was able to interpret that message? Ding, 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 ding. Daniel, the only one who seems to be able to interpret any of these messages to him. So Daniel explains, in the same time that Daniel's explaining this message, it's not necessarily good news for Belshazzar. In fact, it's his death sentence. In the same day that he gives him the interpretation of this writing on the wall, Belshazzar dies. On that end of that chapter, it's interesting, you can, even if you've already turned there, you can glance to verse 31, it says, And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. The thing that's fascinating about that is it doesn't really fill in any blanks of how that played out. It sounds like it was like a, a gift given to him on his birthday, like it wasn't a gift, I think that's just a, a reminder of who gives kingdoms and who takes them away. In fact, when we read our history books, the Babylonian Empire, that was when the Medes and the Persians attacked and took over this kingdom. If you remember in the, the beginning of the book, he had the dream, King Neb had the dream, and it started with a gold head, and below that was a silver uh, uh, part of the statue. And this now is moving from one heir of a kingdom to the next heir. Now, what's strange is at first you think of the, the Babylonian Empire was this massive world empire, empire known as being the most powerful one probably to ever exist. And it's fascinating when you look at your history books of how that transpired. The, the city of Babylon, here's a little backstory, and we'll dive in. Uh, the city of Babylon had the, the Euphrates River that ran directly under the wall 
through the, the city, and it was the water source that they were completely dependent on. Does that make sense? The, the Persians attacking decided the best way to get into the city was to redirect the Euphrates River and then go under the wall in the space that the river ran through it. So basically, after Belshazzar is taken out, they basically marched in, and it shows in history books that really there was little to no resistance. So this quote-unquote most powerful kingdom of all time was given to this new king. So Darius is the new person in charge and the new era moving from the golden kingdom now to the silver empire. Look in verse 1 of chapter 6. It's so much more helpful if you have a Bible with you. If you didn't bring it, there's one in the chair in front of you. Daniel 6, 1. It says this about Daniel. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished, kind of a recurring theme in his life, above all the other high officials and satraps because an, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom Listen to these words. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Let's stop there and break that down a bit. Pretty fascinating explanation the first thing that you notice is you've had a change of the guard you have a whole new kingdom in place with a new ruler and leader and all and in this new kingdom daniel's still a top guy it's pretty pretty cool to see god's favor carry between kingdoms can you imagine if the united states were taken over do you think any of our government positions would would still be filled with the same people oh you wouldn't assume so but god's favor was on daniel what does it say about him Something that's set on part is said that it, because that he had an excellent spirit was in him. That's kind of a cool description. One of those things that you you, you pull out as a as a nugget. Something that you, you see. There's something different about people that walk with God. There's something different about people that walk closely with God. The world around notices. There's something that people are, are drawn to. Something magnetic. It might have might have been his faithfulness. It might have been a positive attitude. It might have been the fact that he was consistent. We don't know exactly. It made me think of of a passage in the New Testament, Acts four thirteen. We'll have it on the screen there. It says this. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. Why? They recognized that they had been with Jesus. There's something about when, when God's working and moving in you that people are drawn to, but it's not always in the best way. Sometimes it's putting a bigger and bigger target, as we'll see here in the text. Jealousy took over. These men that were concerned about building their own kingdom, it didn't matter how likable Daniel was, they wanted to take him out. 
So what do they do? They move to kind of the age-old age old thing of digging up dirt on somebody. Isn't it interesting that a couple thousand years later, we're still doing that in politics? You can't turn on the news and see something new coming out. I found out this about this, this candidate. And every single day, it seems like that's coming to the surface. My question for us as we try to relate this text from many years ago is I wonder how we would stand up under the scrutiny of a microscope? How would we fare? How would we do if someone were to dig in and, and look at our, at our lives, at our viewing habits, at our response to our wives, at our business at transactions? How would we fare under a microscope? Here, it's interesting to see the conclusion after they've dug deep, and I'm sure they didn't just look under a few rocks, so that they could find no ground for complaint. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome to be said of you? You know, the, the more I look at that person's life, the more I dig in, the, the more I uncover things, the more I see that they're living above reproach. They're putting their head at the end of the day on their pillow and looking back and saying, you know what? I was, I, I was all right before God. I, I behaved. I stayed within the parameters that he set with the, the laws that he's established for us as Christ followers. So what happens, the officials knew that their one hope for bringing him down was to find a law of Darius that would conflict with a law of God. A law of Darius that would conflict with God and that would put Daniel in an impasse where he had to choose who to follow. Let's see how he responds as they're setting a trap. Verse 6, Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All is recurring. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors of the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. See, this, this trap was not by accident. You see right out of the gates there in verse 6, that says that they came by agreement. This was something that was planned. It was something that was mapped out. They, 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 uh, they, cohort, they, they worked together. They collaborated on this. Did you catch the lie that they tell? In this section, did you catch the lie that they end up telling the king? What do they say? They say, all the high officials of the kingdoms, they, they've all agreed on this, that we should do this. Who do you think they, they may be left out of that? Who is the highest of the, do you think, do you think uh, Daniel was included in signing off and saying, yeah, that's a great idea, we should do that? No, of course. So they're playing outside of the rules, and that's what we should expect, and we're trying to live above reproach. Much like Neb, they appealed to Darius's pride. Look at what they, they appealed to. They say, hey, if, unless they're worshiping, unless they're bringing their petitions to you, they can't be bringing petitions to anybody. You're the only one. And he's like, yeah, yeah, just me. It's all about me. He falls prey into this. Like, it's funny to think how pride leaves us so vulnerable to attack, to assault, leaves us blinded to deception. I was thinking about this as far as traps go. 
I would propose this, that the best way to avoid traps from the enemy in your life is if you're doing nothing worthwhile, if you're doing absolutely nothing for Christ, that's how you can avoid traps. You can be a secret agent Christian. You can tell nobody. You can do nothing that's set apart. You can blend right in perfectly like a chameleon with the culture around us. And guess what? You can avoid traps. Isn't that good news today? Isn't that why you came to church this morning? To hear this, this good news? You can blend in perfectly if you don't do anything different than the culture around you. Isn't that awesome news? No. It's not awesome news. Because that's not what we're called to. That's not the life that Daniel was called to. He had a life above reproach that he wouldn't bend a knee to any other God than his own. We see that as he stands firm in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open towards Jerusalem, he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Make note of that. Then these men, by agreement, uh, these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, I, I, it sounds similar to earlier in the book, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petitions to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered in his pride and said, The thing stands fast according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petitions three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Pretty powerful scene there. I was thinking about it this week and even thinking about what a bummer that would be for Daniel, even having his peers turn on him. It's one thing to have them gossiping about you at the, the water cooler. That's one thing. But when they're planning your death, are you serious? Like, like uh, that, that, would be, that would be news that you'd be like, man, that, that's got to sting a little bit. How do you respond in emergency? Some of us tend to, if we're honest, in different emergencies, we panic, we freeze. But here he calls out to his God. What does it say? It says he continued as he had done previously. As he had done previously. The foundation was already in place. Remember, Daniel had already 60 years prior established that he wasn't going to bend a knee, that he wasn't going to partake in the, in the king's food. He was going to stand firm. He's going to live a life set apart. He was established. It's interesting that two things that it points to says that he went to his window, opened up so that all could see, it was pointed to, towards Jerusalem. I found that fascinating. That in 1 Kings 8:44, this was something that Solomon had set into us 
into place, praying towards Jerusalem. In Psalms 55, 17, David shows that he prayed three times a day. So he's following the lead of followers of Jesus before him, followers of God at that point. So he establishes this. And for us, the takeaway is like Daniel, we want to practice holy habits long enough that they become old patterns. Practice holy habits long enough that they become old patterns. You see, that's what established him to be able to stand firm at this point of crisis. But then I think it's interesting when you read this, I'm like, man, how do you balance that with today? How do you balance when the law of the land conflicts with the law of God? A lot of people wrestle with that, and I think in our, in our future, potentially wrestle with that even more. You see how Daniel chooses to respond. He elevates one law above the other. It's like, man, I, I got to follow God. I, that's, that's my first priority, even if it means opposing the laws of the land. So he makes that choice. He makes that decision. It's interesting to see, I pointed out in the text, how the, the guys make that appeal. They say, didn't you sign this? As if, do you think they were lacking that information? Do you think they didn't know they needed some clarification? No, he's trying to rub, rub his nose in it, saying, you're stuck in a corner, king. You got backed into a corner. You can't get out of this. You can't change. You can't revoke the laws of the Medes and the Persians. You are trapped. Notice right away how the king responds. Immediately it says that he's distressed. Man, this, this, is, this is my favorite guy. This is my top official. I'm going to have to throw him in with a bunch of lions, man. I'm, I'm stuck in a corner. And I was thinking about that. How often... Decisions made in haste lead to regret. Decisions made, that, that, some of you maybe just showed up just to hear that this morning. Decisions made in haste often lead to regret. I was talking this, this week with, uh, with Chad and he was uh, sharing about, he got that, that wonderful car uh, report when you take your car and there's a knock in your engine and the, the news was, you need a new engine. Like, oh, that hurts, especially when you owe on the vehicle. And so we were talking for about an hour, just kind of on, on, the, on the phone and, and talking through solutions and ideas and, well, what do we do with this? And it was, it was neat to see him go through the process and weigh and consider all of his options because, man, he didn't want to make a rash, quick decision. He wanted to be wise in, in, his, uh, in, in his choices there. See that often decisions made in haste are regretted. The king labors to try to figure out a solution to bail him out. And it's interesting because he comes to the same conclusion that we often do when we try to solve things on our own. You're like, I can't do anything about this. And what does he say? I think it's interesting. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. In other words, I can't do anything for you. I can't solve this. I can't fix this. So often we need to come to that same conclusion that our problems can't be solved by man. Man can't fix it. Man can't fix our country. Man can't fix our government. It, 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 there needs to be conclusions that we come to that it's a God issue. We need God to intervene on our behalf. Even being sentenced, he stayed the course. You don't see any argument or or pushback, it says, the king declared, may your God, whom you serve, continually deliver as he's being thrown and cast into the 
lion's den. Take a look in 17 of what happens next. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of the Lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fed, fled from him. Then at, break, at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den, at 62 years old, of the lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Look at that response. I think it's interesting. First off, you notice being thrown in. A lion's den wouldn't have been something in the side of a hill. It would have been something that dug out below you. So they had dug the, this hole where they had a bunch, I don't know how many lions would have been in there. I, my my uh, kids and I were watching some nature show the other day on uh, national, some national explore, whatever. And, uh, and, and, but the point was, man, you see when a lion determines to take someone out, it goes pretty quick. Like it's, it's a quick process and imagine a group of them hungry at the bottom of this pit. You're at 80. Did you know that Daniel in the story is 80 years old? At 80 years old, he's thrown into this pit of lions. And then what does it do? It says that they take a rock on top, seal it around the corner. So he's in the pitch black, no light coming through. Lions, you hear their breath all around. Can you imagine this scenario? I don't know what he's doing to like have some degree of sanity if he's if he's humming the lion sleeps tonight or or, or what but, but 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 either way this is this is a dark dark place but I have this feeling and this might be reading into the the text a little bit I have this feeling that he's kind of at the stage of the game where he's like whatever it's fine I'm following the Lord one way or the other I've already resolved that I'm not bending a knee, I'm not changing, I'm not altering, I'm following him to the end. So I just wonder, here's a question for you. Who do you think slept better that night? Do you think the king slept better? Or do you think Daniel slept better? wonder, at 80 years old, there's no way he's staying up all night. Because any senior saints here attest to that? Like, I need a nap at 40 already. So, uh, but, but here, you think about it. So he's there in this, this tomb, if you will. He's there, and I, I'm picturing him. We have, we have a little dog that likes to crawl into our bed at night and kind of cuddle up with you. It kind of keeps you warm. It's kind of right in the middle of Adrian and I. It doesn't help with the love life. But, uh, but, but, but here's, but here, maybe that's too much. Um, but but here's, the, here's the, the point that, I, the reason I bring that up, not to be crass, the reason I point that out is I just wonder with these lines, after he'd already seen that, like, hey, they're not eating me. Hey, this one's kind of soft, you know, like, uh, like, I don't know. I'm picturing Daniel all kind of lounged out with like a foot on one line and another, his head tucked in a mane and drooling on another one. Like, you, you know, like, I just wonder who slept better that night. You see, back to my beginning statement, when you've lived a life above reproach, 
able to have no regrets. You don't, you're not thinking back, oh, I should have done this. I should have said that. I should. You're able. There's peace that comes as opposed to what does it say happened to the king? It says that, that he, had, he, he was fasting. No di- diversions were brought to him. Sleep fled him. Like, man, he, he's, he's tense. He's in, he's, in a, he's in a bad place. But what does Daniel, when he finally opens the top, what does it say his response is? It says, I was found blameless. I was found blameless. Aren't those powerful words? Wouldn't you love to have that said of yourself as, you're, as God Almighty is reflecting on your life and looking before you? That's the beautiful picture of Jesus Christ, what he's done for us on the cross. Because of his work, we are found blameless. God looks at us, he three, sees us through the filter of Jesus Christ. You're, you're above reproach already because of your position through Jesus Christ, his work, it's an awesome picture. That's the conclusion that Daniel has. And I, I love the respect that he shows to the king. He says, first off, O king, live forever. Something we can learn from that. That's first off, the king that just threw him in a lion's den. Second off, something we could learn in a response to our government, right? What if we prayed as much as we complained? I was found blameless. Love this conclusion that you can come to. That we have potential to emerge from terribly hurtful situations unhurt. We have the potential to emerge unhurt in situations that you're like, man, this is not going to end well. This is not going to end well. When you're faithful to our God... You have that potential. That's the awesome thing about following the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one that, that reigns over all this, the ones that places kings in place and removes them when he chooses to. It's an awesome place to be under Almighty God. Look in verse 23 to see how it plays out. It says, Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. Man. And before they reached the bottom of the den, in case you're wondering if they were tame lions, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to the to all the people, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. Kind of a funny turn of events there. I, 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 make it, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Stop there. Pretty powerful response. The first thing that you, you notice is that the king deals with the guys that have been taking him out. You think about that sometimes when we're in our situations, we're, we're being attacked and we're like, man, I, I need to solve this. I need to take care of this. Don't worry. You have a, you have a king that's looking out for it. What happens? It says that it's through the, their entire families in there. 
a first read, you're just like, I don't really like that idea of wives and kids being thrown in there. I don't know that that was a God thing. The Medo-Persian Empire had a law that said, on account of the guilt of one, all the kin will perish. So that's the way it was set up. Darius then decrees, he makes a decree, I love this. Can you imagine if we had a president or, 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 or leader, if Obama or, or whoever got up in front of the nation and made this statement, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever, his kingdom shall never be destroyed, his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues, he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, he who has saved Daniel from from the power of the lions. How awesome is that as he proclaims that to the entire nation? What big things come from little pieces of faithfulness, right? It's like, I just kept on praying out my window. Just kept on praying. You see, when we're faithful in those things, God's like, yes, that's an instrument I can use. That's a vessel that has worth to me. I can do something big. I can do something powerful through that person's life it's awesome to see God doing that. And here's the interesting part of that. It says at the, at, the end of the, at the end of the section, it says, Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius. What it doesn't go into detail is what Ezra captures, that right around this exact same time is when the nation of Israel is restored. Around this exact same time, Ezra points to the fact that the Jews were returned to Judah that the temple was rebuilt from the king's treasury, the gold and silver stolen by Neb back in the day was all returned to its places. Huh, how about that? So God had a bigger plan in the middle of all of this, and, and it all stemmed from one person saying, I'm not going to change, I'm going to remain faithful. You never know what your faithfulness with your choice to be set apart will do. I think each one of us, if we reflect on this, you're like, I want that for my life. How do I get it? How do I get it? How do I move that direction? How do I become that person? Here's two thoughts from the, from the chapter, and we'll conclude with these. It's just two ways to stand. First one is maybe too obvious. He had established consistent patterns in his walk with God. He, once he knew that that document was signed, he had already established, he had already laid a foundation. You don't roll out of bed and pass this test. It's something that comes from consistency, consistency, a walk with the Lord. You think about it. You can do nothing great for God publicly if you're not connected to him privately. Nothing ever is great going to come publicly unless you're connected with him privately. My question is, how's that going for us here today? How's that going? Would you say, yes, man, I've got a, a great private life with the Lord. We're connected. I, I invest in that relation. I carve out time for that. That's part of my week. That's part of my routine. I know a lot of times when you hear a pastor said that, that just makes everybody like look down and feel kind of guilty and like uh, counting, uh, counting their shoelaces. But, but here, what, 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 if, what if instead of that you said, all right, on 9-13-2015, I'm going to start that. I'm going to start that. Instead of getting, using, allowing the enemy to weigh us down with guilt, what if it moved us to resolve rather than guilt? One thing, establish consistent patterns. Second thing, and we'll conclude with this. His faith was known 
by all. He was not a secret agent Christian. He was not somebody behind the scenes and, you know, I'm just trying to do secretly nice things with, for people. No, he was vocal about it. You notice that the, that the people trying to take him out, they knew clearly about the God he served. The king obviously knew about him, that, that he's like, he was able to come to the conclusion that, yes, the, the God that you serve faithfully, wouldn't you want that to be said about you? Nobody wonders about where you stand. Nobody wonders if the flag is up in your life. Or you can play it safe and you'll have really no targets on you. You'll, you'll cruise through maybe. I don't know. But will you be able to put your head on your pillow at the end of the day with no regrets? I was thinking about this just as we wrap up. I was thinking, you know what? Do you think anybody that's really fully sold out for the Lord, somebody, do you think Billy Graham ever says, you know what? At the end of my days, I really wish I wouldn't have been so vocal about Christ. I wish I would have been a, a little bit more reserved. I wish I wouldn't have gone to such extremes. When have you ever heard that statement made? Never, never. I, I'd love somebody to send that to me of somebody that says, man, I, I wish I wouldn't have sold out to Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, the difference between a life of regret and a life of surrender, man, it's it's, it's a big gap, but it's a wonderful choice. I don't think anyone would regret. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this text and this practical picture of what happens when we draw the line in the sand. One, it definitely clarifies our opponents. It also reveals you and your character as the rescuer. God, we recognize we can't do this on our own. We need your strength. We need you working in and through us. I pray that we'd make choices even this week to stay connected to the vine, to not try to do this on our own. I thank you for this example of someone showing us a picture that it can be done amidst a culture and a world that's headed the exact opposite direction. You can stand firm in God's strength. Thank you so much for your faithfulness, the way you provide, as we're about to sing, that you're the rock that doesn't move. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Anybody else thankful for that rock, that constant when we're in a lion's den? Amen. Let's go and live in that rock this week. God bless you.